Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we continue in our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I want to tell you that as we come to this passage this morning, it may seem insignificant to you, an insignificant passage. But I really think there's a couple of things in there that can transform really the way we think about ministry and the way we think about our participation in this church right here, Bear Valley Church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'd like to begin reading at verse 17. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, um, I will read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly uh, and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Help us to uh, know it and may it transform us and change the way we live. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, just kind of as a by way of review, Paul is writing to this church and he is reminding them of their relationship, their relationship that's been founded on the gospel. That when he came and he visited, uh, we have recorded in the book of Acts that he came and visited, he shared the gospel with them and many. Uh, responded and really responded at cost too. immediately they began suffering because of their decision to follow after Christ. Paul is sharing his heart uh, and he's sharing how much he loves them. And in this passage, we get his uh, personal passion for them. If you look down at verse 17, uh, he says, we were torn away from you, brothers, torn away. Now, uh, in the Greek, this, this word torn away is the idea of being orphaned, being ripped out of your family. And even as you read these words, you realize, you go, Paul, it sounds pretty dramatic. You're, you're using really dramatic. You, you make a big deal out of this relationship between this church and yourself. You, you don't know them that well. And yet you're talking about this in these kind of terms. Uh, you know dramatic people, and they talk. Some of you have uh, know present company excluded. I'm fearful to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Maybe eighth grade girls, maybe uh, as they talk about, oh, this is the end of the world, or this is the greatest thing, or this is the most exciting thing, or this is the worst thing, and there's a dramatic thing to it. There's also some of you are sports fans, and and uh, you talk about your team in these ways. You say, you know, it's happening. What's happening? Saturday night. Seven o'clock, it's the war. And you're like, no, it's just a baseball game, you know. And uh, you refer to things and they're somewhat dramatic. And so, some people can kind of roll their eyes and go, it's not that big of a deal. But as Paul looked at this church, this church that responded to the gospel, he uses this idea that I was ripped away as one would be ripped away from their own family. 
he paints this picture of what happened. And the reason that he's using orphaned and then he says brothers, remember we have been talking about this over and over again, is that he sees them not as just people who responded to the same message. He sees them as family. Uh, It's great to see the Bart's clan here today. I love it. I love it. They came for one reason, because uh, grandma, mom, dad, they've been married 60 years. That's amazing, isn't it? Some of you haven't done anything for 60 years, anything at all. Uh, But they've been married, and and this family gathers together. And they gather together, it's because they're family. And this idea is that Paul, as he cares for this church, he realizes they have been knit together as family because of the gospel. The gospel took total strangers from different cities, different ways of life, different backgrounds, and glued their hearts together in such a way where he would say, I feel orphaned when I'm away from you. I hate being away from you. And so he refers to them. And and then he goes on to layer this idea of his desire to be with them. He says, orphaned. Uh, he, He says, we've been separated. We've been ripped apart for a short time in person, but not in heart. It's the idea that that though they're apart, though they've been orphaned, though there's distance between them and they cannot see each other, he says, my heart is with you. I remember going to seminary and there was a a particular student, a a peer of mine, who uh, was separated from his family for a time. And as he would begin class, he would open up his briefcase and he had a picture of his family that he put there. And, and, and it was always a reminder to him. And, and there was this idea that even though he was separated from his family, that he was remembering them and he was thinking about them. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, we are separated. We've been ripped away, but I still have you in my heart. I'm always thinking about you. Why? Because we're family. Because I want to be with you. It's not just that they're family, but he wanted to be with them. As he goes on to talk about this, he says this, we endeavored or we desired uh, more eagerly and with great desire to see you. And it's this idea that we, we were plotting and planning and anxious and desirous and, and, and wanting and pressing, and we wanted to be with you because of what God did in uniting our hearts together. He felt orphaned without them, uh, but he he had this desired reunion that he desired to have. And and I want you to see this. He desired to see them face to face. He desired to see them face to face. You you can skip over if you wanted to to chapter 3. We'll get there. Uh, I think it's verse 10 that he says again, face to face. A couple other times in Paul's writings, he says this, this is the idea, to be there face to face. And I want to tell you this morning that the diamond standard of relationships in the church is what? It's face to face, face to face. It's being with someone. It's to be able to see them. It's to be able to see their countenance, to look into their eyes, to speak to them and then respond to you. And and this back and forth, this uh, touching of life one to another, this is what Paul desired 
This is how he did ministry. He wanted to come. And in fact, he says in uh, the next verse, verse 8, he wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. It was this idea that he was plotting and planning again and again and kept on uh, not being able to. And yet his heart was pressing forward that he might see them face to face. I want to tell you uh, that this is uh, the way the church is supposed to run, face to face that we're supposed to be together, that we're supposed to look into one another's eyes and as we hear each other's stories and the burdens that we carry, uh, we share those in the presence of one another, sharing life together. Uh, It's important to talk about this today, isn't it? We live in a world that uh, doesn't cherish face-to-face. In fact, um, you didn't even need to come this morning. Did you know that? So by sometime in the next day or so, this sermon will be online. So you could listen to the sermon that I'm sharing right now and not have to talk to any other people. You only have to look at us. We don't do videos here, you know, yet. But you, you only have to look at me. You can just hear. And some of you go, hey, that's a great idea. You can, uh, you could, you could send in... You can kind of listen online. You can do everything at home. And you don't, you don't have to interact with anybody. And yet Paul, in his separation, which, by the way, correcting that separation was much more costly than what we got now. He had to walk there, right? He had to find those people. His desire face-to-face wasn't as easy as hopping on a plane or jumping in his car or hopping on a freeway or a bus or calling the Uber driver, okay? Uh, He had to, it wasn't easy. And yet this was his desire, face to face. As we move away from the church just a little bit, I want to tell you all that this is the best way to do relationship is face to face. If you have anything to say, you have anything important to say, go to the person, go to the person. Look them in the eye and share with them what you have to say. That's the best. That's the diamond standard. What's the second best? I don't know. Skype. FaceTime. Right? You can even use your phone. You can even use your phone. You can look at them. You can't really touch them. You can't really touch them. That's coming, I'm sure. Uh, But you, you can at least see their face, right? Probably along with that is a phone call, right? To hear one another's voice. To hear one another's voice. Third place. Third place. And it's pretty far down from there. Third place. A personal letter, text, or email. Personal meaning that you identify the person. Hey, you. Insert your name. (laughs) Hey, uh, remember we saw, like, you're connecting. You have a relationship, and it's coming out in your message. And then you send it to them. And the worst ever, the worst ever is some passive-aggressive post on Facebook. Somebody should really stop doing that. You might know who you are. Uh, An email to a bunch of people hoping that that one person will read it and realize that they were the one. 
uh, a text fishing for uh, some kind of response to many people. Horrible. It's horrible. You know why? Because it's not face to face. It's not coming to a person and realizing that this is the way God has intended for us to act. This is the best. It's a beautiful thing as God has shared with us that he has allowed us relationship with one another face to face. If you want to know uh, how to do something, how to communicate something, ask the question, is this the personal way or is this the impersonal way? And take the personal way. Take that way where you can speak into one another's lives and share life with them. If at all possible, go and see them and sit before them and then before you and speak into their hearts. This is what Paul wanted. He was desiring and he knew that this was the best for him and for them. This is what he desired, this face-to-face contact. I want to tell you that this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do with one another. Both uh, somewhat you know, routinely as we gather together that we, he wants us to gather together so we can see each other, so we can give each other a hug, so we can hear each other's stories, so we can know each other and be known, uh, that we would see each other face to face. And secondly, that, that, that this would uh, be the way we handle conflict, that we would speak to one another, that we would love one another that we would disciple one another, that we would uh, encourage one another, that this is the way we would do business. As Paul spoke of this uh, at the end, and we really don't know, we realize that in his first visit to Acts, immediately following, and probably as part, part of his visit, suffering came about. In fact, you can, um, you can look back to verse 16 in chapter 2 it says uh, by hindering us he's speaking of uh, these ones who are persecuting us he says but by hindering us from speaking to the gentiles that they might be saved he speaks of suffering that was coming and had come and then he says at the end of the passage that we're looking or uh, concluding this thought of personal passion verse 18 he says but satan hindered us but Satan hindered, hindered us. And what I want to highlight for you is this. He doesn't give us much direction of what, uh, how or how, how this happened. But I, you need to know this. This idea of hindering, the, the wording there, is the idea is that he cut in on us. He cut in. It's the idea that an enemy would use of a road or a bridge in front of an army, that he would ruin the road that they couldn't get there, or he'd blow up the bridge so they couldn't cross. And this idea that, that uh, as um, they were seeking to glorify the Lord, seeking to spread his word, that Satan was trying to thwart them. And, and as Paul says, again and again. He wanted to come again and again. And he wasn't able to because Satan was against them. And we know the verses prior, like I said, that there was suffering, that there was a constant desire that the gospel would not be shared. And I want to tell you this. Wherever, wherever the gospel is going forth, the work is being done, wherever, Satan will hate it. He will hate it. He will do everything in his power to stop it. 
He, he will seek to disrupt it. Why? Because he hates the message of Jesus. Why? Because that is the victory and, and it proclaims his loss as well. So Satan hates it. And so as Paul was sharing his heart for the people and his inability to get there and to see them face to face, we know this, that the enemy was against him. Uh, Know this, though, that the enemy never wins in the end and that God still continues his work, just as he was doing in Thessalonica, just as even this letter was coming to them to be the encouragement for that they they needed to do the work uh, in that city. There was, uh, Paul felt orphaned from them. He desired a reunion and Satan opposed them. He opposed them. Which brings us to verse 19, the trophy of the church. The trophy of the church. Now, as we looked last week, uh, we saw suffering. And this week we saw Paul not getting, uh, we've already seen him not being able to visit and to get to them as he wanted to do. And, and why, because Satan is opposing, why is it worth it? Uh, Paul's going to tell us why it's worth it. He says in verse 18, right, I'm sorry, verse 19. He asks this question, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Well, let's start with his coming, first of all. Uh, When he describes this, and in uh, the first letter to Thessalonica church, he's going to mention it, but also more so in the second letter, he's going to talk about the second coming and the end of the... And and I want to tell you that Paul was mindful of that. He says, there's going to be an end to all this. The Lord is going to return and the the mission of what's supposed to happen here on earth will be done. What will make it worth it at that time? And he's he's thinking about that end time, that, that, that time where there are no more opportunities. And he's going to say, what will make it worth it? What will be our hope? As a believer, uh, Paul uses this word hope. It's a Christian hope. It's an expectation. It's, uh, it's the idea of this great investment of time and energy and resources and life that it will somehow be worth it in the end, that it will come to fruition, hope realized. He uses the word joy, um, the, the smile of fulfillment. And, and that's tough. The word joy is tough, right? Because if I asked you today... Um, are you joyful? Do you have joy today? Some of you would have to double clutch a little bit, right? You'd be going, um, let me think about that for a moment. Uh, I'm sure there's all, always something to be joyful for. Let me, let, give me a minute, maybe five minutes, 10. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Because uh, uh, you're going through some difficult things. But I want to I wanna share with you, right? Uh, Paul is talking about suffering, right? He's talking about Satan's opposition, right? And he says, what is our joy? What is our joy? I want to tell you, if your health is your joy, um, it will be gone. It will be gone. If your finances are your joy, it's only as good as your bank account. So, well, it's great right now. Uh, Proverbs tells us it has wings. It may not always be here. It might take off on you. 
I want to tell you, you know, maybe maybe there's other things you put trust in. Maybe it's your your family or or your situation or the weather outside or whatever. You can put your joy in all kinds of things. But if it's not right today, then someone will ask you, say, well, I don't have joy today. Paul says, so what is our joy? What is that smile of fulfillment that that is enough for us today? And thirdly, he says, uh, crown of boasting, crown of boasting. I know that's tough to hear part of the, the translation deal, but this idea is what, what is the victor's crown? What is it that says we won? It, it's always interesting uh, when you, you know, T-ball, uh, they don't care who won. Most of the kids don't care. They're like, they don't care if we ran. They're, you're just happy to get to the right base. Actually, they're just happy to get snack afterwards. Okay, which was a little rough up in the Bay Area. Sometimes they'd bring carrots for snack and stuff like that. And the kids are like, we just played a hard T-ball game. Can you give me carrots? Um, but uh, as you uh, uh, as you think about it, kids don't get it. But once they get it, they go, they're really, they, what was the score? What was the score? Did we win? Did we win? There's a question about winning, and some of you say, well, it doesn't matter if you win. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. And, and the reason it matters is because you tried hard. You tried hard, right? And at the end of this life, you say, well, it doesn't matter if we won or lost. Yes, it does, right? Because there's, there's scars. There's energy exerted. There's exhaustion. There's this idea, was it worth it? Was it worth it? And so Paul says, he asks the question, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting is that at that end day? What will be the thing that will make it worth it? He asks a second question, which has an obvious answer. He says this, is it not you? Is it not you? He points to them. And in the same way, I'd point to you this morning and say, what makes it worth it? It's you. It's you. And you say, what, what about me? I'm just a common person. I, I do a common job. I live in a less than common place in the world. You know, like, what is it that makes me worth it? I want to tell you, it's a transformed life. It's that the Lord has taken your insignificant and really, because of sin, worthless life. And he's granted you value in the gospel and he's pulled you into a special family and he's changed your life that you might have an eternal soul, an eternal spot with him as family forever. He said, what makes all this worth it? Is it not you? I want to tell you that, that the thrill of Vacation Bible School isn't the crafts and snacks. Some of them are real excited about it, but they're gone now. Those snacks are gone. Those crafts are broke already. Um, it, it, what is exciting about that? What is, it's to look at those children and realize that, that understanding who Jesus is now, that they would understand that the Scripture will guide them their whole life. If they can get that now... What an investment. What a, what a treasure. What a trophy for the church. What a trophy for the Lord. It makes it all worth it. 
Do, do you see that God changing you makes it, it makes it worth it. it? It makes it the futility of life is gone because He has changed you from being that who's an object of His wrath to now being a child of His, part of His family. What an amazing thing! I want to tell you, you are a trophy of the church. As Paul looked on that, those believers in Thessalonica, he says, you're the reason that this is worth it. I'm suffering today. I'm, I was rejected. I've been thrown out of towns. I've been beaten. Why, why is it worth it? Because of what God is doing in you. You are a trophy of the church. What Paul's saying is, my coming meant something because you were changed. You're the proof. I want to tell you that um, it's thrilling to be a part of Bear Valley Church. It's thrilling to even just to walk around on vacation Bible school day or seeing the youth group in action or, or seeing people here during the week meeting for Bible studies and know that God is and has done His work in you and realize that that is secure because He's changed you forever. That that's secure, that this is a hope eternal. And as we look at that, we realize that uh, our heart for one another um, is because we have an eternal trophy in what God has done in our hearts. Let me give you three things to tie up this passage this morning that will be helpful for us. First one is this. Personal relationships are the method of the church. Personal relationships are the method of the church. Quit looking at your phones. I wasn't telling you right now, but like, uh, quit looking at your phones and look at people in the eyes. Quit, you know, caring about what the news is in some far off town that you're never going to meet. Quit reading blogs about people you know nothing about. But but look to the people and, and, and seek to foster the personal relationships, both here in the church and in your families. This is what God wants us to do. Secondly, um, prioritize FaceTime with God's people. I, I realize that there are really a million other places you could be Sunday morning and the rest of the week for that matter too as we meet for other things. I realize that uh, some of you think, you, you say, well, I'm a loner and I, I do better alone. I, I don't play well with others. I want to tell you uh, that may be what you think, but God wants you to be face-to-face with other people. He has not created us to be alone. He hasn't. And so as we come together to look at one another, to get people around you, to be a support to one another. Some of you are thinking right now, you say, well, my life is fine being a loner. I want to tell you, it'll be fine being a loner until it's not fine being a loner. Until life hits or something happens to you and you're going to say, I I need people or, oh, I don't know anybody. Nobody knows me. I want to tell you the time to benefit and to set these in place is now, is now. Secondly, I want to tell you in that, uh, selfishly, you're thinking selfishly when you're just thinking about yourself. People need you here. If God has saved you, he's blessed you with gifts that, that you're meant to be a support to others and encouragement to others. It's amazing to me that every week we gather together 
And I know dozens of people that are going through things right now at Bear Valley Church. Right now that they're weeping about and struggling through and they need people to support them, encourage them, pray for them. Face to face. Should be our method. Lastly, um, I want to say this. Rejoice in the trophies of the Lord. Rejoice in the trophies of the Lord. I realize that uh, that starts with us. And that's an uncomfortable place to say that somehow, some way, I'm the trophy. Uh, that somehow I'm a sign of victory. That I'm the one that's made it all worth it because God has changed my life. To say, what a blessing it is that God has taken me from that to this. And then to look side to side and rejoice at the trophy that what's going on in other people's lives. Be thrilled as you see God changing one another and going, it's amazing. I'm thrilled that God has changed you. And now the, go- the gospel has taken root in you. And even at the day at the end, it's all worth it because he has changed you. He's changed you. I want to encourage you in this, uh, that we would look to realize that this is what the church is all about, face to face, and that we are being changed, that we would be uh, a picture of God's blessing, a trophy of his grace, each one of us, because of what he's done. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of being in your word. Thank you for uh, the message you sent to us through Paul. Uh, this morning, and God, may we do ministry like that. May we be participating face-to-face and and rejoicing and being driven by these trophies of your grace. God, you've been so kind to us. Glorify yourself in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd ask the men to come forward um, and uh, make ready the table as we begin in a time of communion. As we celebrate communion today, uh, we are remembering what the Lord has done. And even as I have talked about being a, a trophy today, we realize that it's not the trophy itself that's great. It's what it represents. This morning, we're going to look at something that represents the price that was paid. His body and his blood paid for our souls. This morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what church you're a part of, Please join with us in celebrating what God has done in you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd ask that you'd consider uh, the promises of God. To Even as I, I shared with today of uh, what Paul was doing and the passion and, and how this brings it into the church, that there's a message that Jesus died for sinners, that he, he rose again conquering sin and death, that we might have life, life eternal. And that believing in that message, you can have life as well. If you're not a believer, just I'd ask that you bypass, but you'd take these moments to consider where you stand with him. Please hold the elements as we're all uh, um, served, and then we'll partake together as we remember the Lord.
before Jesus went to the cross, before he rose from the dead, he gathered with his disciples and he shared a meal. At that meal, after he gave thanks, uh, he took the bread, uh, he broke it, explained to them that this was his body broken for them. We do this this morning, remembering the body of our Lord given on our behalf. In a similar way, Jesus also took the cup and he explained this was the blood of the new covenant that he was making with them in his blood. We do this remembering the blood of our Lord that was spilled on our behalf. Please stand and join with me in prayer.
Father God, we thank you uh, for your kindness and your mercy to us. We thank you that you have uh, reached out to us and desired a personal relationship with us. You wanted to know us and to be no- that we would know you, that we would be family, that you would bring us and adopt us into this beautiful thing you call the church, that we would forever be trophies of your grace. God, we thank you for your church. We realize that the it's costly, the death of your son, Jesus. God, we're grateful. Do your work in us now as we go about this week. Help us to love as you desire us to love and to serve you with the life you've given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we leave today, uh, you can participate. We do an offering for those who are needy uh, in our midst. You can participate that as you leave. Have a great week. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.